podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and we are joined with another awesome guest, Justin yeah. Zalewski. Welcome, Justin, and thank you for, for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, let me do a brief introduction for you, Justin, and then uh, we'll have you kind of tell us a little bit more about yourself. But Justin has spent the past 10 plus years in product design and service design, working with companies like Angie, Stack Overflow, Genesis, and, and Cummins. Uh, but why don't you tell us more about yourself, what you do, and, and some of your experience? Yeah, so sounds good. Uh, like you mentioned, I lead the product and service design practice at Studio Science. We're a design and innovation firm, um, and we solve a lot of different problems, but I like to sum it up and, and me and my teams work like this. Uh, our purpose is to help businesses design with people as opposed to for people. And, you know, lots of different things involved in that. I'm sure we'll talk about some of that uh, in our time today. Um, but I like to break it down like this, you know, customer experience depends on meeting people's needs and people's needs are always changing. So businesses have to constantly change too. So the way we help people with this is uh, we can jump in and help them understand what the customers and sometimes their employees need. And then we deliver solutions to meet those needs. And then to get a little more specific, because that's the super high level, vague description of what we do. Um, we do a lot of work, uh, especially with large enterprise companies. And a lot of times they can be in a spot and, you know, maybe you've seen some of this in your experience too, where they've enjoyed long-term success, but what got them here won't get them to the next level. Um, they're you know sometimes competing with new kinds of companies and they just have to operate a little bit differently. And so, more often than not, the way these companies are set up doesn't allow them to really innovate well, just because they're not built to move, to move quickly. They're built, uh, for, for structure and they're, they're built for size and, and scale, but they're not built to move quickly. So a lot of times when we speak to people that are responsible for advancing product, for advancing design, for advancing customer experience at an organization like this, they can be really frustrated. Sometimes they've been feeling hopeless because they've been banging their head against the wall trying to make progress in their organ. That's where we can come in and we can act as their modern design team, sometimes their modern product team from the outside when it's not possible for them to act that way from the inside. So over the, the years at Studio Science and before, um, I've had a chance to gain experience uh, in from a, a product design, a product strategy, and a service design approach, um, and to build up a team where we can put these skill sets to, to use prototyping new solutions and, and testing rapidly um, to really realize, realize additional value with our clients' customers um, in a much quicker way than is inherent in those large organizations. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm super excited to talk more about that because... Uh, I think that is a huge, huge, both problem and opportunity. And I've, I've worked in some of those large organizations where change can be so, so difficult. And frankly, even in smaller organizations, but just that have been kind of ingrained in a lot of the practices, it can still be really, really difficult to break out of those. So I'm excited to talk more about that and the things that you do. But before we dive into that, why don't you tell us a little bit more about some of the things that you like to do outside of the office, uh, you know, outside of, of the uh, UX and product design and service design, some of the, the other things you like to do. 
Yeah, outside of work these days, I've I've got a five year old and a two year old, two girls <laughs> that keep me pretty busy, and so uh, I, I spend a lot of time playing with them. Um, you know, that's one of the benefits of a remote lifestyle, right? Um, a lot of, a lot more family time, which I'm grateful for. Um, outside of that, I play guitar, um, and lately I've been reading a lot of uh, sci fi books. Um, so it's prior to this year, actually, it, it had been several years since I had read any fiction. I had been totally nonfiction, you know, I'm reading books on, you know, product and design. And so, uh, this year was my first time in a long time branching out into fiction and novels again, um, which has been really awesome. I'd forgotten how much I love that stuff. So that's been keeping me busy lately. Awesome. Okay. Well, at the end of the show, I'm going to ask for, uh, some of your recommendations. Uh, so we'll, mm, sounds we'll, good. Keep, we'll keep folks hanging on for some of those, but I, that is a genre that I absolutely love. So I'm, I'm super excited to, to get a few of those. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with, with some of that in mind, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what brought you into service design and product design uh, specifically? You know, what, what kind of brought you into what you're doing right now? Yeah. So my, my path kind of weaves around in different types of design, but it all started for me with graphic design. And so it's, it's what I went to school for. It's what I practiced for, for many years, um, both in an in-house role and then freelance on the side. But I, I found that I was always more, more attracted to and, uh, and frankly much better at the visual communication and kind of the, the functional side of, design. Um, and so that, as that applies to graphic design, um, it means I was, I was better at that functional and communication side than the expressive side of, of design, um, which I, you know, I have tons of respect for people that are great at that, uh, that side of it. And I'm thankful to work with a lot of those folks today. Um, and we complement each other's skill sets very well. Um, but that was always kind of my forte. And so that naturally led me more into, web design and then UX, uh, and even, you know, some, uh, front end and, and limited back end development. Um, and then eventually into the world of product and, and, you know, designing for apps and web-based software, and then learning about, uh, product management and product strategy. Uh, and, and through all this, I discovered, um, you know, in, in no small part, uh, due to my, uh, now, uh, boss, Christopher Weiss, our chief design officer, um, this world of service design. And how well that gels with the kinds of things that we're already doing as uh, product designers, product strategists, product managers um, in bringing people together and creating great experiences, great products, great services for customers. And so um, without any kind of formal, uh, you know, title change, because the I mean, the whole like title and terms thing is a, is a total mess. But uh, without anything like that, I was able to find ways to incorporate some service design tools and skills and, and mindset uh, into me and my team's work as product designers, as we look to influence these kinds of experiences that just get kind of bigger and more complex um, as we move into working with bigger and more complex companies. So it ended up being a, a much better fit and a really valuable tool set to add to our arsenal as designers, um, to really make a, a more meaningful impact. So that was kind of my journey through the different, uh, layers and flavors of, of design. Um, that's, that's really awesome. And I, I want to kind of dive into that a little bit more. Uh, first part is, do, do you feel like, uh, having some of the graphic design background has helped in some of the UX and, and product design that you do? Cause I know a lot of people, 
start out in that route and then, you know, go more into UX and, and product design as they, as they realize that that's more of the thing that they, they understand. And, and some even go the opposite direction. Um, you know, what has been kind of your experience in, you know, having some of that background and then coming more into kind of the product and UX experience? Yeah, I'm, I'm personally very glad that I started there. I think it gave me a lot of the foundational visual skills to know how to, uh, order and sequence information so that it can be easily consumed. Um, also just at a, at a UI level, uh, I think that that kind of thing is harder. It just in, in my experience for me personally and folks that I've seen on, on teams, that kind of thing tends to be, I think, harder to, teach and it takes a little longer to get up to speed. And so I think having that, that time to start there and develop that skill set uh, can be really helpful. Um, Cause a lot of the, a lot of the tools and skills for UX design and, and product design, I've seen like, once you've got that initial design skill set and you're, you're in the world of product, you're working on a product team. I see people ad- adapt to that and, and gain that experience and that knowledge and confidence uh, relatively quickly. And so um, I'm glad I, I started there. Um, and it's, it's something that I've seen people, other folks that I've hired on teams, um, just, you know, grow so rapidly, um, after starting there. So I, I think there's a, a, a lot of benefit there. Um, and that's one of the, I think the things that's great about that kind of, um, you know, this is a loaded term, but that kind of generalist skill set. Um, or, you know, T-shaped, if we want to talk in, in that way too, of like, you've got your, your area of focus and depth, but, uh, being able to be flexible and, and understand the different kind of aspects of whether it's design or product or engineering or kind of some mix of those, uh, just allows you to be better at your core focus too. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, we've talked a couple of times now about this idea of service design and, and you've touched on it. Could tell us a little bit more about what is service design? How is that different or similar to to UX and product design? You know, what, what are the similar similarities? What, what are potentially some of the differences? Yeah, there's a ton of similarity, a ton of overlap, and because of that, I typically recommend that people not get too caught up in the terms and the labels of it. Uh, anytime I'm talking about product design and and service design, I try to preface it as kind of a, an overall disclaimer because there are folks that are you know, uh, much, much more academic than I am about where those different disciplines lie. Um, but where I find it kind of tedious is that, uh, a lot of folks don't agree with each other on the boundaries of this thing. So it's hard to really define like where one starts and the other stops, but here's how I like to think of it is, uh, service design is a great connector of disciplines. And so within service design, there is still a need for UX design, UI design, product design, interaction design, uh, product management, engineering, customer service, like all these other things. So I'd, I'd like to think of service design as a great connector of these disciplines. I also like the, the definition of service design that it's the application of existing design processes and skills to designing for services. And so it, you know, doesn't claim to be like reinventing the wheel or anything like that, even like the, uh, some of the core activities and process of service design isn't going to be like radically new to anybody. You know, it's, we, it's still research, ideation, prototyping, implementation, you know, a, a fairly typical design process and, and iteration cycle. Uh, you know, it's nothing radically new there, but I think what's 
worth noting as as the is the different focus within service design on some of the principles of it so that it's uh and, and none of these are entirely unique on their own but i think bringing together all these things creates a different mindset so being people-centered being collaborative and embracing co-creation uh being iterative not just in the you know some of the the typical iteration and and testing that we do but you know at a, a more uh broad scale kind of iteration and then looking at things more holistically, which you know, that, that last principle is probably one of the, the bigger differences, I think, between service design and, and others is just it, uh, it does a great job at zooming out and looking at, all right, here's the here's the customer journey. That's either the, the current state or the future state of what we want to be our customer's journey and kind of zooming out to look at, all right, if this is the, the journey or the intended journey. Uh, what are we doing as an organization to support that? Where do different departments plug in? Um, what is customer service doing to help enable their journey after they uh, have been using the product for a while? Um, how is sales, uh, how is marketing uh, selling this? And what expectations does that create with users when they first onboard into the platform? Uh, and then, you know, all along the way, like what, how's our tech stack uh, informing these different pieces? Um, so when you connect the customers experience to the the people and the processes and the technology that make it a reality, you start to see some really cool opportunities uh, and you can get really specific about where you want to intervene and create some change. So it feels like it's very much a trying to take a, a holistic view of all of the things of, of almost the, the whole customer journey through you know, maybe each of the different stages through uh, all of the important parts and understand all of the interactions of, you know, all of the departments, all of potentially all of the products, all of the features that we have and how can we create a, a, a journey an experience that really brings all of this together and isn't just about the silos of each of these different things, but has, at its core, all of these things really interacting in a way that uh, has well, probably has that the customer at the center, but has that experience kind of tying it all together. I don't know if that's what I feel like that's kind of what you're driving at, but that's what what I'm hearing is you know really starting to kind of get out of the some of the silos, which are important pieces of it. And everybody has their important part of it, but then really kind of zooming out, like you said, and then making sure that we're also seeing all of these things and bringing them together in a way that makes the whole experience much more um, tied together. And that's what service design is, is trying to achieve. I don't know if I've, I've summed that up in a, in a way yeah. that makes it is what you're trying to say, but that's certainly part of what I'm hearing and, and certainly part of what I feel like makes a lot of sense to me as well. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's, it's all about bringing things together and, you know, to exactly what you were just saying, it's about bringing the experience or it's about evaluating and designing the experience as a whole, because that's how your customer is experiencing it already. The customer doesn't care that you're 
customer service team doesn't get along with sales or whatever it is about the silos in your organization or whatever kind of political drama is going on to them. It's all one experience. And so if it's fragmented because your organization is fragmented, they don't care. They're just going to have a bad disconnected experience. And so the more we can realize like this is, this is the reality of how our customers are experiencing our product or our service. And so let's design around reality rather than design around our, narrow view of how we organize our departments. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I, I think that makes a, a ton of sense. Um, because what the, the, the old saying is we, we so often end up shipping our org charts in mm. the products that we have. And that becomes reflected ultimately in the product experience where, you know, if, if, if we're really siloed into the different org charts and, and the organizations that we have them, we end up shipping that to the customer and they experience each of those different silos where, you know, you may have really good parts of the product, but then, you know, different parts of it are you know, completely separated and the experience is completely independent of other parts of it. Just because that's the way the org chart has been designed is that these two departments don't talk to each other. And so that's how the customer experiences it is that these two things don't interact in any way because we as a company don't talk to each other in, in these two areas, which ends up being a terrible, terrible experience for the customer. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's a name for that. I think it's Conway's law that just says, you know, yeah, the, right. what the, what the organization or what the customer experiences is, is going to mirror the way the organization is set up. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You, you got it. The name was escaping me, but I think you, you, you've nailed it. Um, awesome. So, as you go into some of these companies, um, especially some of the, the bigger ones, um, you know, what is the approach that uh, you take in starting to help them understand that, you know, it, it's not about the, you know, each of the different pieces, but it, it's about, you know, starting to break down some of the silos that we're talking about. And then how, you know, how do you begin to do some of that, especially with you know, some of the more ingrained processes. I'm, I'm really interested in that. What, what has been some of your experience and, and the approach to doing that? Yeah. So because we're a, a consultancy, we typically, uh, I'll, I'll use different language depending on who I'm speaking with. So, you know, if I'm you know speaking with you and, and folks that are kind of in, in the work, I'll talk about the things that we're just talking about now of, you know, here's how you break down silos and here's why that, that makes sense. Uh, but a lot of times for, for folks that are trying to drive an initiative forward, I'll start with, you know, it, service design is really going to help you break, break down these three big questions for your organization, which is what does this do for our current and future customers? How will our business be impacted and what capabilities do we need in order to make this happen? And so, you know, we're, we're getting to the same kinds of truths and the same kind of benefits of the approach. Um, but just kind of, that's, that's what I found is the best way to kind of speak to it. Cause those are the kinds of things they're, they're measured on that they want to make sure they catch before it gets too late. It kind of de-risks the kinds of things that they're looking to push forward and, and make progress on. Um, and so that's one of the things that we've seen uh, resonate with those that are responsible for making this kind of change in an organization. What typically are some of the biggest barriers to change that you found, especially within some of the organizations? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, because there are there, there's always different barriers. I'd say some of the most common ones are. Budgets and timelines. And so, you know, this, this won't be a 
unique barrier to service design necessarily, but it is a, a barrier for service design. Um, when we think of teams that are incentivized and operate based on output rather than outcomes, uh, you know, service design is a great fit for outcome oriented teams of, you know, here are the outcomes that we want to drive forward and, and achieve. Um, you know, if you're an, an empowered product team, uh, these are the kinds of things that you understand. Um, but a lot of organizations have not quite made that mindset or maturity shift quite yet. And that can make it more difficult um, when there's a, a roadmap that's like, you know, this quarter we're delivering these features um, and it doesn't matter if they meet people's needs. We said we were going to deliver it. So we're going to deliver it, um, you know, that feature factor kind of mentality. And so that can be a huge barrier uh, to to a lot of things, you know, huge barrier to an organization's success and their relationship with their customers in general, but definitely a barrier for service design as well. I think one of the other barriers uh, can be, you know, if if we go to all in on, you know, service design as a, as a new thing, uh, that can create some friction, right? And so, uh, there are some that advocate for, for service design of, you know, call it what you want. Like you don't need to use the, the term service design. Um, but you know, here's how, how we think of it. And I think there's some value in that, um, where if, if we talk about some of the same kinds of principles that make up a service design approach and talk about how, we want to de-risk implementation. We want to make sure that your customer experience and your employee experience are aligned. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, we validate these kinds of needs before a product is launched. Uh, we believe in co-creation to make sure that it is actually you know what you should be building and that your team is part of the process. These are all things that I think are easier to easier to swallow, uh, than talking about like, we're going to introduce this entire new methodology of service design in your organization. Um, cause for, you know, certain, uh, certain personalities, certain roles on a team that could be a really, uh, that could be a red flag of like, you know, well, like, like I, I really need to dig into this before I, uh, you know, want to upend my, my process. Um, you know, even if my process isn't working well today, um, you know, so I think focusing on some of those, some of the benefits and getting down to the core of like, what do we really mean when we say service design actually ends up making more sense and overcoming some of those obstacles, uh, that, that might pop up for people that might see or hear something unfamiliar. Right. Yeah. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, especially when so many of these things can be really, really new for, um, a lot of people or a lot of organization in technology and, and especially in the product world, you know, we think of, it's almost the water that we swim in a lot, but, uh, it can be a really, really new thing for a lot of organizations that, you know, the idea of, uh, some of these things that we talk about, about, you know, empowered teams and, um, you know, the idea of really focusing on the UX and, and the service design and, and a lot of these things can be really, really big changes. And so how do, how do we start to incorporate some of those changes in a way that both makes sense to them, but doesn't completely upend the entire world that they've been living in, but kind of adds to it in a way that uh, continues to add value, but also brings them into uh, the way of doing things that, uh, that we're, we're all more familiar with, but also makes a lot more sense for, for their business and for, for customers and for uh, just the new world that we're in, which, 
you know, it may feel strange to say, but that's been my experience is that, you know, there's, there still are a lot of organizations and a lot of departments that, you know, these are are newer concepts. And so helping them understand those things is, it's important because, you know, it's, uh, they're good things, but they can also be a little bit jarring if, if, if taken too quickly. So I don't know if that's been some of your experience as well. It, It definitely sounds like it. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think one of the, the good news about trying to make this kind of change management, um, as opposed to, I, I mean, we've seen, uh, just like you were saying that, that shift to outcomes over output and, and empowered product teams is a, a hard shift, especially for a larger established organization to make. And it really has to have, uh, you know, not that it has to be top down driven, but it's got to have total buy-in, um, and support at a you know executive level. Uh, in, in my experience, bringing a service design approach to an organization, uh, and at the very least, you know, encouraging co-creation iteration and these kinds of, you know, silo breaking practices into an org can start at a more grassroots level. And so, uh, I've seen it actually be more successful when it starts with, you know, you start with your own team before it grows in the organization. So I think people really need to see it, uh, and especially to see the results for it to really catch on. But when it does, you start to create these champions of that and it, it just kind of spreads a little more organically. Um, so when you show your team, this kind of collaboration can work, that mindset starts to spread. And so when we start small and we think about, all right, what, you know, we're, we're going to redesign our onboarding process of our product, for example. Um, you know, what perspectives would be helpful to have in the room while we're working on this? We can start to, you know, take those, those baby steps into co-creation. It doesn't have to be a, a big bang kind of change. It can be very, very iterative. We can start small and start to realize those wins and build on that over time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's really good. You know, we've talked about this idea of co-creation uh, a couple times. And, and I want to expand on that a little bit because I think you've mentioned it being such an important part of service design and the idea of bringing in other people to help create and going beyond this idea of just us creating in a vacuum or in silos, but you know, really co-creating with other members of uh, the organization, but also co-creating with the actual user. So can you expand on that and, and why that's so important in service design? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, I, I view co-creation as kind of that next natural step beyond the testing and validation that I think a lot of us are, are familiar with and, and used to today, uh, which is you know still super important, but it takes us from more of that, what, what can end up being a kind of like paternalistic view of the experiences that we create of like, all right, we're going to, you know, we're going to hear your feedback, but like, we know best, we're going to prescribe the solution. Uh, and you know, this is an extreme example, but, um, takes us, you know, from that kind of mindset into, uh, really valuing the customer's own perspective, uh, on, you know, they're in it every day. And when we invite them into more participatory methods, uh, for, for co-creating, it lets that lived experience that they have shine through and it's going to bring ideas out that, you know, d- don't always come out when they're just, you know, asked a series of questions or kind of, you know, kept at bay in that way. So, I mean, specifically, I think there's a couple opportunities to, to do this. The, the first being to co-create with them during research. So rather than just 
interviewing, which is still valuable, of course. Uh, but there are a ton of different, more participatory methods to invite them in, be more actively involved in the process. So, for example, we were doing research with a company called InterSystems. And uh, rather than interviewing and then synthesizing what we found into a journey map, um, which, you know, again, nothing wrong with that. But we took the additional step of we actually had the customers map their own experiences on a virtual whiteboard since we conducted all these sessions remotely. And this way, not only are they actively involved, but they're mapping these things out visually and it allows them to just see how it's all coming together, any gaps, and it kind of brings up new ideas for them. And so we end up getting more insights and value out of the research that we than we would have if we would have used a more traditional method. Uh, another example, you know, this is still, you know, because it, it's, it's all research and we're all learning in a way, um, but kind of later on in the process, um, when we're designing a new dashboard for a SaaS product, for example, um, we have been preparing this build your own dashboard toolkit for customers. And then we have them build their own ideal dashboard rather than just, you know, asking them about the kinds of metrics that are important to them, which, you know, is still, is still good. Um, we have them actually build out like, all right, what would that look like? And it's, you know, super easy to do these kinds of things, you know, remotely. Now, it's not meant to look great, and it's no replacement for the UI and UX work that needs to go into creating a great data visualization and an intuitive dashboard experience. But what it does is it reveals so much more about what they need from a dashboard than if we were to just stop at asking questions. So we still ask the questions, of course, but giving them this toolkit, they can better show us what they need rather than just tell us. And it results in better solutions, too, because you know they're more directly involved in the ideation rather than the idea is always coming exclusively from designers, product managers, engineers. I think that's, that's so good because it, it's like taking research and interviews and all of the things that, that we talk about frequently really to the next level where it's, it's not just the understanding and, uh, you know, the research and the synthesizing that we're talking about, but it's, it's literally creating with the customer and it, it's it's almost it, as we think about kind of the design process it's incorporating the customers and the users almost in into the next phase where it's not just the understanding but it's almost the the exploration phase of it where they be you know they're part of the the understanding process but they're also part of the exploration process where they're you know they're helping ideate some of the solutions with us together and um, you know, helping us through like, not just the problems, but you know, what are some of these potential solutions and, and what makes sense in their world rather than us just kind of taking the understanding and then moving into, you know, what are, what are some of those potential solutions? And I think that's just, it, it's, it's awesome. And, and I think it, it just makes a lot of sense incorporating, uh, users more and more into this, uh, the overall process and, and kind of like you said, co-creating with them because ultimately that's who we're creating for. And so having them kind of along the journey as much as possible so that it is as much about them as it is about what we're doing as well. So I absolutely love that. I, I think it's just, um, it feels revolutionary, but it's also just like super, super logical as well. So I, I think that's great. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's awesome to see too. Like as you start to put it into practice, and you see um, 
I mean, in a lot of cases, like how much, uh, how excited people get about being involved in that. Um, and I think, how, I mean, how meaningful it can be too, of rather than having things, you know, just totally handed down where they're just, you know, consumers, um, for them to be involved and to have their perspective valued like that. Uh, I mean, super powerful for customers, um, and also for employees, like when employees are, are, you know, either the target audience or are super involved in delivering an intended experience to co-create with employees too, can have the same kind of thing where they, they feel valued and seen as part of the part of the team and part of the process rather than things just being handed down to them. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. As you know, we talk about a lot of these things yeah, the overall service design and uh, a lot of these good practices, um, you know, how can we start to uh, bring some of these ideas and these concepts and these practices into our own organizations and incorporate them into, you know, what we're doing, you know, whether we're, uh, you know, already doing some of them or, you know, whether we're not doing any of them particularly well, you know, what, what would be your advice uh, to start incorporating some of these things? Yeah, I, I mean... Going back to the idea of there are ways to start small. And so I, I would give that as an encouragement to anybody that's interested in trying these kinds of things out. It doesn't need to be super disruptive to start. There are ways to experiment with this kind of stuff. I think we're all, we're all on board with experimentation, right? It's a part of all of our, our work. Um, and the two tactical things I typically recommend are, uh, one, just to start start broadening the lens and looking at an experience more holistically. And, and that could mean, you know, broadening the journey that you're looking at of, you know, maybe you're just responsible for one part of the journey, um, you know, as, as a, a PM or a designer. Um, but, you know, what happens before and after that? And how does that connect? How does that, that context that the customer or user is bringing into your part of the journey, your ownership, um, how's that affecting things? Uh, or it could be kind of broadening your lens, um, into the the capabilities, the people, processes, and technology that enable that customer experience. Um, so, you know, first thing I think just broadening broadening your lens of how you're looking at things, um, and then second to to try to get more co creative with your your customers and your your other team members, um, which all all depends on uh, and everybody's going to be at a different stage of this in their own team and organization, but all depends on building relationships. And so hopefully you've already got some, some relationship established with your customers. You're, you've already got some kind of rapport there. Um, but uh, if not, it's never too late to start um, and getting, getting those connections, making sure you've got customers or, or a way to connect with customers and, and your audience um, to get, uh, you know, at the very least, um, some, some feedback, um, but hopefully actually getting them involved in the process, um, as, as co-creators of that experience and then building relationships across teams as well of, you know, you, you've probably got, uh, hopefully a great relationship, um, you know, across product engineering and design, um, you know, things, you know, don't work well if there's not at least a relationship with, with uh, those, those three groups. Um, but think about, you know, where are, uh, where are the points of friction elsewhere in the, the organization? Is there tension, uh, with product marketing? Is there tension with, um, you know, uh, logistics or, or finance or whatever it might be? And just think about, you know, where, where could we benefit from some additional perspective? Uh, or going back to our, our earlier conversation, where is the tension within our organization creating friction for our customers? Uh, and look at that as an opportunity to break down, break down some of those barriers and 
really unite under a common goal. I, I think that makes a, an absolute ton of sense, um, especially, you know, building out and breaking out of any of those potential silos and, and you know, continuing to build uh, those relationships um, across the organization is, is such an important part of it. What, what advice would you have for anyone considering getting into uh, product design or, or service design specifically? Yeah. So I've only experienced the path to service design through product design. So keep that in mind. But uh, I found that once you build a solid set of skills as a UX designer or product designer, you know, you're, you're already conducting research mapping journeys, considering the experience as a whole outside of just the screens, that the jump to start practicing service design from there is a relatively low barrier. So like we talked about, it's, it's more of the mindset of adopting co-creation and bringing silo teams together maybe leveling up your facilitation skills uh, because especially, I mean, co-creator puts us more of a role, more of a role on us as, as facilitators um, than necessarily, you know, only, only designers. Um, And uh, you know, ultimately just connecting that customer side to the supporting processes and technology that make it all possible. And then on the, uh, on the product design side, or really just the advice that I give to people getting started in design in general is to make as much of your own work as, as possible. If you're just getting started, uh, I mean, one of the ways that I was able to make the transition from graphic design into UX and product design is by growing a portfolio of work as a freelancer and as a contractor on the side of my in-house job at the time. This was before Studio Science um, and actually ended up getting me connected with Studio Science ultimately uh, through my my freelance and contract work. Um, so personally, one of the things that that helped me was um, to get more of the kind of work that I wanted to do. I had to give some of it away. So, for example, if a client was paying me to design their website, but I wanted to design more mobile apps, I would first try and convince them to also pay me to design their mobile app. Uh, you know, don't jump to giving it away for free uh, too quickly. Uh, but if that didn't work, then I'd end up doing the work anyways so that I can build experience in a portfolio, which eventually led people to pay me for the work. I think that is, it's interesting to always hear like the different paths that uh, so many of us take in, into product management and product design, because it it always is uh, a little bit varied how all of us kind of get into it and and kind of the different ways. And so I think that's super interesting. And ultimately just the, it comes down to just doing it and, you know, whether it's kind of like you said, uh, you know, doing it on the side or doing it in you know whatever way you can, but just uh, doing it and you know, doing it wherever uh, you can, especially the things that you want to eventually be doing and kind of building up that array of skills, kind of like you mentioned, because it's not just the strictly designing aspect of it, uh, which I've, I found early on is uh there is a ton involved kind of like you were mentioned with like facilitating and you know managing uh, a variety of of different people and different aspects of it so you know there is the you know kind of the graphic design and the experience design and the facilitation and all of these different things that uh, you may not completely realize until you start getting into it but those are skills that become really really important as you get into it so i think that's really really valuable advice 
Justin, this has been an absolutely great conversation and a ton of, of useful information and great advice. Um, but is there anything, any final thoughts that you have on anything that we talked about or, or didn't get a chance to talk about? You know, I think the only thing I would add is, uh, you know, really uh, just encouraging people to to start to try some of these things in their their organization. Uh, I'm fully confident that you will start to see results as you start to build relationships and and start to co-create with your your customers and employees. Um, and you know, if, if nothing else, just to change the mindset a little bit of you know from thinking of products to thinking of services. Uh, I know the the term product. Uh, which is not something I'm trying to change, but the term product is so ingrained in in all of us, how we think uh, in, in all of our titles and organizations. Um, but when we think, especially those of us that work on a lot of uh, SaaS products, you know, it's, it's right in the name. It's software as a service. You know, we are actually delivering services and not products. And so to think of it that way, uh, I think can be a really helpful mindset shift that'll help you to look at things a little more holistically. Yeah, no, it's a great call out. Um, awesome. Well, Justin, this has been really, really great. I've got a couple of final questions uh, for you, but before we do, where can people find out more about you and the things that you're working on? Yeah. So uh, if anybody wants to connect, uh, LinkedIn is pretty much the only social network I'm active on these days. So feel free to look me up on LinkedIn. I would be happy to connect and, and chat at any point. Um, you can find out more about me at justinzaluski.com and you can find out more about Studio Science at studioscience.com. Okay. Awesome. We will put all those links in the show notes so you can check them out there. And all right. So we've got a couple of wrap up questions, uh, our, our shout outs and gripes. Um, and you mentioned at the very, very beginning, uh, and, and this is one of our questions. So if you've read or watched or listened to anything particularly interesting, and now I need to know some of the sci-fi books that you have read this year that you have liked the very most. Man, you know, it, uh, this was actually, this was a, a recommendation from, uh, who has now become my reading buddy at work. So, Hey, Will, if you're listening, uh, but this, uh, this series that got me back into reading fiction this year, uh, it was called red rising. Um, and it's like, they, uh, there's like, uh, five or so books in the series and there's you know more coming out and I think they're making it into a series on one of the streaming platforms. But, uh, anyways, uh, super enjoyed this like sci-fi series. Um, just lots of good. I mean, there's like, you know, enough like political action, but it's like, you know, one of the things that I, and I, I think if you like sci-fi, this is kind of the, the draw. Um, but just that, like taking a future look back at, as kind of a critique into, you know, humanity and the kinds of decisions that we make and how we operate as people, um, is, is always, I think the, uh, the value of sci-fi and, uh, you know, it's got plenty of that within it as well, but yeah, uh, I've been enjoying that. And then on the other side, I've been kind of looking at just some of my, some of my favorite books of the year and on the, the nonfiction side, um, the one that really stood out to me is not a new book. It was published back in the eighties and just recently had a new edition published, uh, but it's called design for the real world by Victor Papanek. And so it's about a lot of things, but mainly it's about the ability and responsibility that we have as, uh, creators, uh, I'll say, it, uh, just to improve people's lives. And so it's interesting because it was written from a very like industrial design point of view at the time, but all the points are equally relevant to the digital products and services that we work on today as designers and product managers. So, uh, you know, uh, that'll be my, uh, my nonfiction recommendation to balance out the fiction, uh, recommendation. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Uh, you've put new books onto my list that I haven't read. So this is super exciting. And I, I love 
one, I love adding new books to it. And, and two, I will, I'll probably send you an email here once I've finished them. So, um, anytime people recommend books on the podcast, um, I, I add them to my list and try and get to them as soon as I can. So, uh, that looks, those look like amazing, amazing ones. Um, I, I was, I'm surprised you, you did ones that I haven't read yet, but that's awesome. So I, I'm glad I to hear it. To my list. Yeah. So, okay. Um, last question then any, any shout outs or gripes to any products that you have used and enjoyed or not enjoyed recently? You know, no major gripes, but the thing that comes to mind is uh, I feel like I'm still mourning the loss of Dark Sky, the weather app. Uh, I don't know if anybody else is a big fan of that one, but they got, you know, I, I think they were bought out by Apple and now they work on the the Apple weather app. Um, and so I've switched over to that, but I just can't seem to love it the way I loved Dark Sky before. Um, it's just like, you know, it, it takes a couple seconds to load and like, it's like, I just, I just want to know what the weather is outside. Like, why won't you just tell me, um, on the, the positive side of things. And this goes back to, uh, I mean, having a, a five-year-old now that's super into Legos, uh, just re reigniting my love of Legos as a product and an experience. Um, and it just brought to mind, like how, how different they are today. And like, you know, you open one of these things and just like, it's the, the experience of building them is much more, I think, thoughtfully designed than it was. Like, I just remember as a kid, you like, you get, especially one of the big sets and it's just like, this is like <laughs> overwhelming. And now it's like, I mean, my, my five-year-old can like do it entirely on her own. Like some of these big, like complex sets, just the way they break it down. Um, and it's super, like, I think it's super good for us as, as people, especially as kids, but it's kind of reignited that, uh, that love of. Legos and, you know, just building physical things, um, for me as well. Yeah. Uh, you can probably tell from some of the things in my background, we, we love Legos as well. So we oh, nice. that's right. have a, yeah, that's a Lego, Lego, Lego ton. Whoa, tons yeah. of, we, we do a lot of Lego building as well. So absolute shout out to Lego, um, as well. Super agree with everything you said, because I, I think super well designed and well thought out. Um, everything about it. Okay. Uh, Justin, amazing, amazing conversation. We will put, again, put all of the links in the show notes. Um, and thank you again for your insight and some of the recommendations. I, I think this has been uh, really, really insightful. So appreciate everything that you have shared with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved uh, the time together. Okay. And thank you everybody for listening. We will talk again next time. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter at prod by design. That's prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter product thinking at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kaya Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, uh, Product by Design. Thanks again.